Today we want to expand the field of our mindful attention to include the whole body <clears throat> so that when our attention is called to area of discomfort, and I use discomfort because that's the most mm, maybe common strong physical sensation, but sometimes people experience very strong and intense uh, pleasure in the body when they're meditating. So uh, the same, you would do the same with strong, pleasant sensation, is to let go of your primary object and attend to the sensations of that pleasure or painful sensations and to um, see if you can be with uh, the discomfort or the pleasure without getting caught up in it, without getting reactive, without getting you know, angry at it, irritated by it, seduced by it if it's pleasant, frustrated by it, critical of it, critical of yourself. Um, and you'll know when to leave the primary object because you're your attention will keep going to this part of the body. It'll keep going. It'll keep noticing. First, maybe out of the corner of the eye, it'll just notice, oh, there's that numbness coming in the leg. Just noticing, noticing. And then after a few more minutes, it's like it's in your face. And it's like you, you don't get away from it. It's just like at that point, don't struggle with trying to stay with the breath. And this thing is just driving you crazy. Just let go of the breath completely. Just turn your attention fully to what is calling your attention. And in this way, you don't end up struggling, trying to avoid the discomfort by hanging on to the primary object. This, is, this creates a lot of struggle, a lot of tension in the mind when we try to avoid what is a predominant experience. And so we want to be really... Uh, sensitive and alert to what is the most predominant experience in our sitting right now. And initially, of course, in the first couple of days of retreat, everything's predominant. It's just chaotic. I mean, it's just like, eh, eh. you know, the mind is all over the place. And so we have to steady the attention a little bit and get some stillness in the body, some power to our attention. And we do, we use the primary object, the breath, for a couple of days exclusively. And now we begin to open up a little bit to uh, notice what is really uh, more predominant than the breath. Now, when you're observing the breath, there's a lot of other stuff going on. There's background noises and thoughts and uh, stuff going on in the room. And Pavarotti, the, the, the mule across the street, is singing his song. And, and to somebody in the room is uh, coughing and hacking and sneezing and shuffling around. And all that stuff can be background for the most part. If your attention is called to it and you start obsessing on it, who is that? Why are they doing this? Da, 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 da. Then you've lost the train of your attention. You've gotten caught up in some uh, emotional reactivity not being mindful. So then we want to let go of that, which has caught our attention, come back to the primary object, refocus, re-steady our attention. 
But when something like strong sensation in the body keeps drawing your attention over and over and over, go to it. Go to it fully. That's what's calling your attention. And it's not like we have to somehow ignore it or deny it or even avoid it. No. We go to it fully, welcome it, and say, okay, this is what's happening now. Can I be with this? And often it's difficult. It's difficult to be with unpleasant sensations in the body because in our culture, we don't like pain. You go into any drugstore and you look, and you'll see all the remedies for all kinds of pain, all kinds of discomfort, real and imagined. And we take you know, stuff so that we don't have to feel pain. Well, in this practice we say, hmm, the nature of the body is sometimes painful. Can I be with that? And if we can lessen our resistance, if we can just drop our resistance to feeling discomfort, often it's not so bad. It's not so bad. When we avoid it and we don't, we we kind of trying to keep it away and we're pushing it away, then it gets really painful. It's really mm, in our face. But if we say, okay, let me just let me just look at this. What, what's really going on there? And we turn our attention to it and we realize that big bugaboo that's been hanging around the corner just stabbing us in the back is really just one little place in the back that's got an ache. And we can be with that. But if we don't look, ooh, it assumes big proportions and, and we start judging ourselves and we think, oh, I'm doing something wrong. I should be able to sit without any pain in my body. I'm a good meditator. Forget it. Even good meditators have a lot of pain in the body, but can learn how to be with it in a way that doesn't cause the mind to spin out in judgment, reactivity, uh, anger, self-judgment, etc. So be willing to um, investigate, get curious about this thing that is kind of uh, hassling you in your practice. It's kind of disturbing your practice sometimes. And not disturbing your practice. It is your practice. That's it. There's not supposed to be anything else. That's, that's it. And so we take a look and we see, can I be with this? And of course, this is where we discover that we, we don't like it. We don't like discomfort. We don't like pain. You know, we want to get rid of it. We want to fix it. We want to adjust. And we do that by moving the body. You know, we just, just a little bit. You know, we got some, we go, ah, oh. you know, we crick the neck, ah, oh, there, relief. But we didn't even notice the discomfort before we got the relief. Or we just sit there and we just kind of, we're sitting there and we feel something in our back and suddenly we're just going, we're just kind of, kind of, just trying to get, get it out of there, ah, there. You know, and we haven't noted it at all. We haven't been mindful of it, we haven't noted it, we've just, reacted to it. We've just gone, it's, it's kind of jerking us around. The body's sitting there. You know, sometimes you, I mean, just for a little entertainment, you know, you open your eyes and you look around. And boy, we, we're just kind of, <laughs> you know, the whole room full of uh, dancing Buddhas. You know, just kind of, <laughs> necks and shoulders and twists and sides and knees and back. You can tell what people are, where, where people are avoiding their body because they're kind of like trying to get away from that thing in the, in the back, you know. Where they're kind of sitting like this, trying to get away from that knee that's painful. <laughs> it's okay. I mean, that's the way it is. 
And until we can really steady our attention, get into it, look at it, let go of our resistance to discomfort, then we'll be avoiding, we'll try to avoid. Welcome it, just say, this is the way it is. This is the body, this is, this is the body that I've lived in all, this, all these years. Never really noticed what it is. Now we're getting a good look. It's okay. It's okay to, to, to feel pain. Because when we do, when we open to pain, we see that it's just vibrating, tingling, stabbing, ripping, you know, throbbing, pulsing, stretching, aching. It's just kind of a dance of sensations in the body. We don't make them happen. We can't stop them from happening. All we can do is, is be with them or avoid them. If you avoid them and you struggle against the way things are, you suffer. If you can be with things the way they are, you can live at ease in the world, in the body, in the mind. So today, in your, in your sitting practice work, be willing to engage the whole body when it calls your attention. And in the uh, general activities, you know, everything uh, that you do during the day, other than formal sitting and formal walking, you know, the getting up from here, walking out, getting a drink, putting on your shoes, going to the toilet, going here, reading the notes, and doing your yogi job, all those general activities, start to pay attention to that. Staying in your body, feeling the body as it gets up. Or as it comes into the hall and sits down, don't just kind of space out from the time you stop your walking practice to the time you start your sitting practice. No, there's, there's, there's five minutes of activity there. Movement, uh, opening the door, putting on your shoes, taking off your shoes, going to the toilet, getting a sip of water, reading the notes on the bulletin board, all that to be mindful of. Ken, staying in your body. This is home. Welcome it. Be home. Um, let's see. Oh, it also in the walking practice, I just want to mention that walking practices are either 45 minutes or an hour, and sometimes around the meals are a little longer. Take the full walking period and do it. And don't, don't just wander around for the first 20 minutes. Walk formally for the next 10, wander around for the next 20, and get back to the sitting. Not so good. The mind will just really be dissipated, not too, not too strong, not too powerful. But if we just get up from here, walk out to some place where we want to do our walking, and just walk. It might take a half hour. It might take 40 minutes before you settle into it. Boom. And finally get there to walking. And then the bell rings. But you've got there, and in that period of time, you've kept the continuity of your mindfulness, your energy, your, your intention and attention, and you can bring back a more powerful mind when you come to sit the next time. So keep the continuity really strongly. Don't be, don't be easily bored with the walking. You've never taken this next step yet. You've never taken this next breath yet. Every breath is different. Every step is different. If we pay attention, we'll notice the difference. If we don't, if we just get bored or kind of casual, we'll think they're all the same, but they're not.
question is about dealing with sleepiness and the physical sensations of sleepiness and how to be with them. Uh, Whatever state of mind arises, and particularly sleepiness in the first few days, uh, it is accompanied by physical sensations. And if we can steady our attention and get curious enough about this experience of sleepiness, we can investigate sleepiness. We don't have to just uh, struggle to overcome it. We can actually take our mindfulness into the experience of sleepiness and see what it feels like in the body. Now, it's a little tricky with sleep, sleepiness because when we go into feeling sleepiness, we usually just want to fall asleep. And, but in, in this practice, we want to uh, arouse our curiosity, our interest, and say, what is this thing called sleepiness? And where do you feel it in the body? You know, you, you go into the body and you say, oh, first the head feels like it's all full of cotton, and the eyelids feel like they weigh a ton, and uh, the body has no uh, strength. It's just kind of collapsing on itself. The hands feel numb, and the legs are completely uh, absent. And so I say, oh, wow, wow. Hey, this is really interesting. If we look, we say, wow, this is interesting. And that level of interest and curiosity keeps us from falling asleep, of course. But we have to go in. The one thing about sleepiness is very pleasant. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, oh, I think I'll just settle into this. <laughs> Relax, nice. Oh, oh, I will clunk, <coughs> snoring away. So be a little careful. You have to keep your, your interest, your, in, your investigating interest up. But you can. You can really go into it and look and see what is going on there. The comment is, what to do with these wonderful, pleasant things that happen sometimes? And uh, how can I be careful not to go looking for them, and how not to indulge in them when they arise? Hey, pleasant things happen to the body, to the mind, to our hearts. When they do, experience them fully. There's no, we don't have to somehow say, oh no, this pleasant, that's bad. Mm, got to get rid of that. Just like the pain. We don't say, oh, this pain, bad, got to get rid of that. We say, hmm, this is the way it is now. Can I be with this without getting caught in reactivity? So when the pleasantness comes, you know, you're sitting in the sun, you're feeling real relaxed, the body's really light and at ease. We don't say, oh, I got to get rid of this. This is too nice. No, we say, hmm. What is this, really? What am I experiencing? Oh, I'm experiencing heat, tingling, lightness, pleasantness, smoothness in the body. Okay, hey, this is nice. I like it. Liking. We just notice every little thread. You remember we talked yesterday about the threads of the tapestry? Each of those momentary experiences is a thread to this old tapestry. So what is it we're actually feeling when it feels so good? Oh, just notice, just note, just identify what each of those elements of this pleasant experience is. In this way, you don't push it away, but you also don't kind of grab onto it, hang onto it, and kind of suck it dry, getting caught. We just see, okay, this is the way it is. It comes, it lasts for a while, and it goes. When it goes, let it go. 
don't look for it again. And that's the hard part. Huh? Well, life is hard sometimes. Noticing the sounds in the room around us, finding the place of balance in the body, relaxing any obvious holding, tension, establishing mindfulness on the primary object, using the labels or noting as a light reminder a recognition of what's happening. Breathing in, breathing out, hearing, sitting. Today, in the sittings, the walkings, and the general activities, we want to begin to recognize the hindering states of mind when they arise. The five classical hindrances are sleepiness and restlessness, aversion and desire, and doubt. When these states of mind are present, our practice feels difficult, feels like a challenge, is not very pleasant. We begin to work with these difficult, hindering mental states by recognizing them, recognizing when we're dull and sleepy, recognizing when we have an excess of energy and feel restless, recognizing when we're critical, judgmental, angry, irritated. Recognition is the essential first step in working with these hindrances. Without recognition, we can't do anything about them. We're merely caught in their web. By recognizing them, we can begin to see that they too are an opportunity for practice. We don't need to give up. We don't need to wait till they're over. If we exercise restraint and not act out these mental states, then we can begin to discover that they really aren't so intolerable, that we can be mindful with them, recognizing them, exercising some restraint so that we're not seeking to fulfill our desires. We're not seeking to act out our aversion. We're not trying to get through sleepiness by napping. This is acting out. So we exercise some restraint and bring our attention to the experience of the hindrance itself. When we reframe our understanding and know that these hindering mental states are the very place, the very time, the very experience in which we work to establish mindful awareness. <laughs> 
We don't wait till the hindering mental states are over or gone or no longer present and then practice. It's when the hindering mental states are present that we practice. We bring our attention to them. We recognize, oh, my mind is clouded by aversion right now. Hmm, I better not say anything. Better not write any notes. Let me just understand that I can be mindful of aversion. I can be mindful of doubt. I can be mindful of restlessness. When we recognize these hindering mental states, we exercise some restraint, we reframe our understanding, then we can let the experience reveal its true nature. What does aversion really feel like in the body? Where do you feel it? What happens to it when you stay with it? Or sleepiness, be willing to engage sleepiness. Be courageous, arouse the energy, the interest to really discover what is sleepiness all about. We spend hours each day in a drifty, dull, sleepy state of mind. But what do we really know about it? Or desire our whole life, propelled, jerked around by wanting mind. What does it really feel like? Where do we feel it in the body? How long does it last if we don't try to satisfy the desire? How long does desire actually last in the mind? When we investigate closely, intimately, these experiences of the difficult and hindering mental states, we discover their true nature, their sabhava, their unique characteristic. And the deeper truths of impermanence, unpleasantness, the essencelessness of these mental states are realized by paying careful attention. We see that desire really doesn't last very long. Anger, if we don't act on it and we don't hold on to it, we don't mm, cultivate it, we don't get lost in it, anger also doesn't last very long. And if we look really closely at our experience of anger, we can't really find anything there. Where is it? What is it, really? Is there any such thing called anger in the body? When we recognize these hindering mental states, we can exercise some restraint, reframe our understanding, let them reveal their unique characteristics, and we'll realize that there really isn't anything to be bothered by. This is the way to work with these difficult, hindering mental states. The five R's. Recognize, restraint, reframe our understanding, let them reveal their characteristics, and realize their universal nature. They don't last. They're not very substantive. They're very unpleasant.
continue to use the primary object for your anchoring your attention in the present moment. Come back to it whenever you discover that you've drifted away. But take some time, frequently during the sittings, during the walkings, to ask yourself, what quality of mind is disturbing my practice, is hindering my practice now? And engage it. Let that become your practice. In this way, everything in our experience is a valid time and opportunity, a field for mindfulness to be developed. Nothing is outside the field of mindfulness. practicing for a few days, <clears throat> and even though it might feel like we're still struggling with pain in the knees and the hindering mental states, actually we all have become much more still in our bodies and open in our minds and our hearts. So it's important now to really preserve your practice and to preserve each other's practice by being very careful, I think, with your activities and your interactions with one another. Throughout the day, there are times when we do have to share the space with others in our rooms, in the lunch line, in our jobs, uh, in the kitchen. And we want to be very careful to allow each other to stay in your own space, to really not engage each other visually, verbally, notes, or physically touching, to really let the other person, and to let yourself, stay in the internal space in which you have worked so hard to really discover and to stay present, to be with. Sometimes when we come on retreat, the noble silence is a little bit intimidating or bewildering or kind of frightening sometimes to imagine not talking for even a day, let alone two weeks. And when we ask people who are doing their first retreat, what is the most mm, scary thing, what is the most difficult, they always say they're most afraid of the silence. And at the end of the retreat, when you ask people what's the best experience of being on retreat, they say the silence. So it's one of those kind of paradoxical things. If we can really get into what it means to be here in noble silence, to really stay with your own process. What you see, what you feel, what you think, what you, uh, what's going on for you, that's you. That's your life. That's what's going on in your heart, your mind, your body. And even though there are other people around in the room, in the lunch line, in the kitchen, what's going on with you really doesn't have anything to do with them. 
They're just out there doing their own thing. What's going on in their life, in their heart, in their mind, doesn't really have anything to do with you. In the sense that we are really beneath the surface of things. We're here together, just kind of sharing a space, but as you know, what's going on for you, what's really up for you, is a very deeply personal, very intimate uh, space in your heart. And it might be very exquisite and pleasant and, and lovely and spiritual and uh, sacred. And it might be really difficult and irritating. It might be very sad. You might be very grieving. Uh, you might see some of us in the hall or outside sometimes crying. That's okay. Let the other person cry. Let the other person have their sadness. Let the other person have their joy. Let the other person have their frustration. Let the other person have their disappointment, whatever it is. We don't really know what kind of work and process they're going through, what kind of work they're doing with their own emotions, with their own, uh, the content of their life. And so even when someone's crying, be careful not to offer them a consolation. You don't need to hug them or wink at them or look at them or write a note to them or anything. Your silent um, sharing of their space with them is the greatest gift you can give them. Let them go through what they have to go through. And they, they in turn will let you go through what you have to go through. Your confusion, your anger, your irritation, your joy, your sorrow, your what you want to express to others, that's yours. Really be with it, be mindful of it. Take it in, really see how that comes into your heart, how it leaves your heart. There's a lot to be learned there. So protect your practice and protect the practice of the others, your roommates and the people that you sit around in the hall. Just really understand that in silently passing by one another throughout the day, we offer each other a tremendous gift of non-interference. Tremendous gift. You don't have to respond. You don't have to react. You don't have to interfere. You're not responsible for the other person other than to create the space in which we all can open our hearts. And it's a very uh, delicate process, really, opening the heart in creating a space that's safe so that we all can do that. And uh, some of us might be in very delicate, sensitive place, and we want to feel safe there in opening. So just a little reminder to Take care of yourself, take care of each other that way. The question is about working with sensations in the body. The question is about working with sensations in the body. And some of them are unpleasant and at the pain threshold, and some of them are just passing through. Generally, when we sit and begin to pay attention with the primary object, we'll notice stuff going on in the body. We'll notice sensations and throbbing and pulsing and pressure and tingling and numbness and, and stuff like that. And for much of the time, all that can be pretty much in the background. It's there, we notice it, it passes through, it might be there for a few seconds, even 
you know, 30 seconds or something there, and then we lose interest in it, or it fades away, or it just really isn't compelling. At that level of dealing with body stuff, just let it be there. Don't have to note it, don't have to label it, don't have to identify it, don't have to do anything with it, really. We're aware of it. But sometimes, sensation arises in the body in such a way that it draws our attention again and again and again, more frequently and with more insistence. At that point, we should really stop trying to observe the breath or trying to be with the continuity of the breath and just turn our attention fully to that. Now, it is a, it's a delicate relationship we establish with discomfort in the body. If we approach the pain with a hope that we can get rid of it, or a hope that it will go away, or a hope or an expectation that it's going to dissolve into bubbles of just innocuous sensation, then we really are holding on. We've got an agenda, we're hanging on tight, and we're looking. That hanging on is what we're really noticing. And it gets tighter and harder and stiffer and more painful and more painful and more painful. So if we can approach that sensation that keeps calling our attention again and again and again with curiosity, a, a kind of childlike wonder of hey, what is this? And approach it that way with a quality, a very soft, caring connection with it. We're not trying to get rid of it. We're not trying to manipulate it. We're not trying to control it. We're not trying to get rid of it like that. We're just trying to really see what is this? We know it's there. We know there's this meat hook in our back. That's what it feels like, you know. <laughs> or there's this elephant stepping on our knee. Or there's this, you know, this twisting going on in our abdomen or whatever it is. It's, and and it, that's what it feels like. And so we say, okay, let me just, let me see if I can approach this. Let me see if I can just hold it in my mind like I would hold uh, a fragile uh, newborn chick in my hand. You, know, you can't hang on too tight or it won't be there. Um, and so we, we, we let it be there rather than go get it. So you might approach it um, with the same kind of energy with which you listen to the sound of that butterfly on that flower out there. You know, it's very, you know, stepped back, open, receptive. Can I hear it? Okay, so if we approach the discomfort in the body of, okay, let me just soften, let me open, let me receive what this is really. Okay, can I get it that way? Rather than, I'm going to go get that discomfort, I'm going to see what it is, I'm going to, mm, I'm going to know it. And we go kind of zooming in, bo 
going into this pain in the knee, and it's like, whoa, worse. It makes you really, you know. But the intensity of our willpower and the intensity of our effort there is really exacerbating the situation. So it's a delicate balance of how to approach discomfort in the body. Also, I might say, discomfort in the heart, discomfort in the mind. You know, real pain in the mind. If we go, you know, I'm going to go figure out this grief. I'm going to get it. We're not going to get anything except a lot of grief. Um, so if we can approach whatever the experience is, we're really... Now, the identifying it, the labeling it, the perceiving, the recognition of what it is, is let that be a very small part of your relationship to this discomfort. Because if we are in there with, you know, Webster's Dictionary, and we're pawing through and saying, oh, what is this thing? Is that aching or is that pain? Is that twisting? Is that turning? Is that stress, stretching or stressing? I don't know. I'm going to find out. Then you know, the intensity of the mind, the, 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 the willfulness in the mind is too strong. So we just say, okay, let me just settle back and receive this. And if I'm sensitive enough, and I'm open enough, and I feel that carefully enough, its quality will make itself known to me. Okay. So it's all in the relationship to the discomfort. It is helpful, though, to not know pain as pain. Because pain has negative spin, you know? In our culture, and probably in most cultures, pain is like, so if we can, you know, uh, acknowledge it as uh, discomfort or unpleasant, and then try to see what the quality of that discomfort is or the quality of that uh, unpleasantness is, then uh, we might not have so much of a negative spin on the experience and have more of a neutral spin. Just like, well, let me see. Can I be with this? So it seems rather minor than that you can merit your rather minor attention. Yeah, just let it go by. Mm -hmm. It's like this. You know the moon was out last night? And when you step outside and you look up in the sky, you see the moon. And if you focus on it, you can notice the texture in the color of the moon, in the light of the moon. You can see little dark spots and gray spots and white spots and brighter spots and a little texture. But while you are focused on that moon, you also are aware of the stars in the sky around it, aren't you? Okay. When you're focused on the primary object of the breath, and you're really precisely with it, and you're noticing the texture, the length, the movement, the sensations, you are also aware of other things happening around it. Sensations in the body, thoughts going by, mental states, sounds in the room, whatnot. You're focused on your primary object, but your awareness is more expansive. It knows other things. We don't have to try to get rid of them. You, you, know, you can't look at the moon and say, I'm not going to see any stars. Uh, that, that's too much, um, it's putting too much pressure and too much uh, striving and trying on the mind. And to do that creates a lot of tension, a lot of pain, a lot of discomfort. So we just say, how oh, come I'm with the breath? also aware of all this other stuff. And if we don't get pulled off and distracted by it, then we stay pretty focused and we see. We do get calmer, stiller, more expansive. 
more perceptive of what really is going on there. When we turn our attention to discomfort or pain, we should not have an agenda of, I'm going to get rid of it, I'm going to fix it, I'm going to relieve it, anything. If the intention is, I want to know this experience for what it is, it might get more intense. And if we approach it with that kind of like childlike curiosity, just like, let me see. Yeah, it might get more intense. But if that's our attitude towards it, then that's okay. If we go in there with the the hidden agenda, I'm going to get rid of this, and we turn our attention to it, and suddenly it gets worse or gets stronger, we say, ah, this isn't working, I'm out of here. Tonk! You know, and we clamp down, we get tight, we shift our posture without even knowing it. So then our agenda has kind of um, interfered with our clear knowing what's happening. We may, we may go into uh, an area of discomfort and realize, oh yeah, you know, no wonder my back hurts, I'm curled over like a pretzel. Gee, maybe I'll sit up straight. And so then if we carefully and mindfully just sit up straight and get some relief, or some relief comes from that, that's okay. Being mindful uh, of the movement will, in most cases, bring some relief. But it's okay to just be with the discomfort also and let that collect the mind and really see more deeply into the nature of the body, into the nature of pain in the body. 